And uh, the, the letter was dated June 8th that was presented. And my bishop called me up not long after this brother and uh, invited me to come to his office that night at about nine o'clock. And he interviewed me to receive the priesthood. And he also uh, asked me the temple questions. And he said, you know, at the end of this interview, Brother Freeman, I find you worthy to receive the priesthood of God and to go to the temple, to be able to take your family to the temple and be sealed for all time and eternity. And what a joyful feeling that gave me. Ah, I think that I have never felt so wonderful in my life as I did at that interview. Welcome to this episode, number 417 of The Cultural Hall. Coming up, I visit with Joseph Freeman Jr. If you haven't taken a second and Googled who he is and what his significance is in church history, well, you're in for a story. This episode, though, is more than a story. It's there. It's a lot. Having a, a, an opportunity to be able to discuss this with my wife, who is not a member of the church, you know, she had some questions, and I don't know that I had all the answers. A great opportunity not only to hear the story of one man's life, but to be able to think about our church's history and be able to hear how different parts may have affected different members of the church. Yes, I'm being vague. I will say this, though. If this is your first episode of The Cultural Hall, thank you for finding us. If you like this episode, there are over 400 other ones just like it. Not with Joseph Freeman Jr. That would be redundant but other episodes that get great stories and great things to cause you to pause. So I hope you will check those out. And also you can always share them wherever you would share something, whether it's uh, in your Sunday school, if you're doing that again, if you're uh, on social media, we'd love for you to share these episodes that way as well. Or even if it's just telling people, hey, you know what? I listened to this episode of the Cultural Hall with Joseph Freeman Jr. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It's episode number 417. We're talking with Joseph Freeman Jr. Do you know that name? Well, get ready because this is an unbelievable story. I am flattered and also just so grateful that we're able to have it. We tried to do it over Zoom so that those Patreon saints of the Cultural Hall could be able to see it. Phone was the only way that we could work it out, but on the other end of the phone, it's Joseph Freeman Jr. Hello, sir. Hello, Mr. Ritchie. Now, I want to get right into this. Uh, Joseph Freeman Sr., let's talk about who that guy was. Uh, my father is Joseph Vernerly Freeman, and uh, he's still alive. He just had a birthday in March. He turned 100 years old. Oh, my gosh. A centenarian. So you've got a, a good long life uh, left ahead of you. Talk about growing up, where you guys are from, etc. before we drop the bomb on, on what everyone wants to know, why we're talking with you. Okay. I grew up in a very small country town named Vanceboro in North Carolina, uh, close to the East Coast. Uh, nice place to grow up. Country living and hard work. Uh, your family, very religious growing up? Yes. Uh, my grandfather was a minister, a Baptist preacher, and uh, interesting man. Um, when at, at one point in his life, he didn't have a, a chapel, and, and he 
dug a hole outside of his house and, cre- and uh, created a basement and uh, made it into a church. My mother said he preached there until the city closed him down. <laughs> but he, he loved preaching. And then my mother uh, also became a minister uh, early in her life, in her early 20s. And she preached the gospel until she died at uh, about age 87. Um, my father was a deacon in the church. And uh, myself, I became a minister when I was about 18 years old. Um, and my family, uh, my older sister, uh, is a minister today, and my older brother. Uh, they are both ministers in the holiness faith, which is Pentecostal religion. And, of course, I converted, uh, I guess, while I was in the army to uh, LDS faith, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So a very religious family, uh, strong in your convictions, goes back to generations and generations do you think we should tell people why we have you here in the cultural hall? Oh, that would be fine. <laughs> I'll I'll let you go ahead and tell people why 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 would we be having this conversation, Joseph? Well, in 1978, on June 9th, uh, I heard about the revelation. And uh, would you like for me to elaborate on that just a moment? Yes, please. Um, I was. Uh, Outside uh, my house, I, I had an evening shift uh, working at night. And so in the daytime, uh, in the morning hours, I was home. And I got a phone call from a good friend of mine who was Catholic. And he uh, told me that uh, President Kimball had a revelation. You know, and I, and, I, and I thought he was just pulling my leg, you know, because <laughs> how often do you hear a president of the church has had a revelation and a Catholic knows about it? Well, uh, he then continued to say that uh, all the, the black people can now receive the priesthood. And, of course, I couldn't believe that. Uh, and I said, OK, all right. <laughs> and he said, you sound like you don't believe me. <laughs> I, said, I, I said, well, I don't know. I, you know, and he says, well, turn on your television and you'll see it's on the news. And so I was kind of dumbfounded, uh, but I, I did that. And my wife, she uh, was listening to the conversation a little bit on the side. And she said, what's wrong? She thought somebody had died. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, Brother So-and-so has said that uh, the President Kimball had a revelation about the blacks and the priesthood. And she got really excited and was jumping all over the place. <laughs> and I said, well, let's slow down a moment. Let's, <laughs> let's see what is you know, really happening. And so I, I, I decided, hey, I've never called a church office building before in my life. But I said, this is the time I ought to do it. So I called President Kimball's office, and his secretary answered and said, yes, Brother Freeman, it's true. President Kimball had a revelation, and the blacks can receive a priesthood, and it will be announced over TV and radio all day long. And then I, I got really excited, you know, to how wonderful that could be. And, and I began to reflect on, uh, you know, the years earlier, uh, how when I, uh, my first son was born, I was living in Hawaii, and uh, I could not give him a blessing. Mm. And, and one of the counselors in the bishopric blessed my son. And then um, my second son was born here in Utah, and I still couldn't give him a blessing. And my home teacher gave him a blessing. Uh, and then by the time my 
next children who were born, mm -hmm. I had received a priesthood. And so, you know, what a wonderful time that was uh, that day, June 9th. And uh, the, the letter was dated June 8th that was presented. And my bishop called me up not long after this brother and uh, invited me to come to his office that night at about nine o'clock. And he interviewed me to receive the priesthood. And he also uh, asked me the temple questions. And he said, you know, at the end of this interview, Brother Freeman, I find you worthy to receive the priesthood of God and to go to the temple, to be able to take your family to the temple and be sealed for all time and eternity. And what a joyful feeling that gave me. Uh, I think that I have never felt so wonderful in my life as I did at that interview. And then, you know, two days later, the state president, who I had never met before because I was new in that state, interviewed me that Sunday morning about six o'clock in the morning. And uh, that interview lasted at least a half an hour or longer. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of that interview, he said to me, Brother Freeman, now, after we have this, we, we were having a general priesthood and meeting that Sunday. That's the interesting thing, that it, it just fell like clockwork. The timing was perfect. Mm -hmm. And so he said, uh, your bishop, if no one can say anything against you, uh, receiving the priesthood, then you will receive the priesthood at the hands of your bishop, and he will ordain you an elder in the church. Wow. You know, and and that was wonderful. Now, you know, most people receive the priesthood, and they receive the ironic priesthood. Yeah, what but, about that? Uh, yes. Well, you know, the bishop said something to me like this uh, that night. As well, the next day we were talking. Uh, we just happened to meet at a gas station very close to his house and in between my house. And it said, uh, one of the things that's important for you to know is that most, every other person, every other member that uh, joins the church, they receive the priesthood within a year after they join the church mm -hmm. or, you know, is baptized. Well, uh, you've been a member for five years now, so there's no reason for you to have to wait to receive the priesthood or to be ordained, you know, to the lesser priesthood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and so uh, here I was now uh, receiving that uh, uh, ability to become an elder. And the wonderful thing was, uh, of course, as soon as the meeting was over, um, the bishop then, we went back to the state president's office. I think we were in probably the high council room, and my bishop, uh, Jay Swain, who has passed away now, uh, he ordained me an elder. And, and there was someone from uh, NBC News from California, and he was allowed to be there and witness it. Hmm. And uh, he then questioned me right afterwards. Well, actually, as soon as I received it, then I was able to stand in the circle and help or assist ordaining two other uh, members who were white hmm. to the priesthood. So I, I immediately participated using the priesthood right then. And uh, and then he interviewed me and uh, with an old-timey tape recorder. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> Brother Freeman, you are the first to receive the priesthood. How do you feel? Tell me. 
uh, what's going through your mind and your emotions right now. And so I shared with him my testimony. And uh, then as I went home, uh, all three uh, TV stations came to my house, uh, you know, just within within an hour or so after that. How they knew, I don't know, because mm-hmm. I didn't tell anyone. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, they all uh, wanted interviews. And in, in the beginning, I had been instructed by the state presidency to not, uh, you know, do interviews. But one of those stations, uh, he called the church office building and spoke to uh, the church representative and asked if I could do interviews. And uh, and that that brother, I can't remember his name. I believe it was Jerry Callhill, uh, told me, he said, Brother Freeman, uh, you're not representing the church. You represent yourself. And it's a newsworthy event. You may go ahead and do interviews. Hmm. And so uh, that station <laughs> interviewed me then. And, and I was in the what is called the Genesis Group presidency at that time, a second counselor for Ruffin Bridge Fourth. And James Dawson, who sung in the Tabernacle Choir, the first black man in the choir for many years. And uh, so uh, the the uh, uh, gentleman told me, of course, I could do the interviews. And then that afternoon, we actually were doing uh, some fire sites. And so as soon as uh, we did two fire sites that day, and uh, they then took me back to the news station, and we were... Uh, on the news, I think, for the 10, 10 o'clock. And also, there was a half an hour uh, radio sh- show. I think it was Sandy Gilmore, I believe, that was hosting that. But anyway, uh, that went good. And all three of us were on that show. Uh, it's kind of a talk show. And then uh, Good Morning America called me. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the next day, uh, I think it was maybe like Tuesday, and he, they asked me if I could uh, go back to New York and do an interview. And uh, the, they called the church and asked if I could do it, and the church gave permission, of course, and uh, my job gave me time off, and an hour later, I was on a plane going <laughs> to New York. And so it, 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 that it, was a wonderful occasion. Yeah, I have to tell you, as you're recounting the story, I like I just felt the spirit so much, like almost overwhelming to the point that I started crying and I could hear you getting emotional as well. And that, you know, as I mentioned at this at the beginning of this, I I have done over 400 episodes and I don't know that I've ever felt it as strong or or felt it as powerful as as you share your experiences of, of what this was like. I also think I also think it's 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 sort of funny how we always say within the church, man, once you get the priesthood, we put you right to work. You were that day and then the next day and then the next day and and certainly not representing the church necessarily. But but man, being a a pioneer for for so many, for countless thousands and and tens of thousands and, you know, subsequently hundreds of thousands who could look uh, to to what you did as a, a first step in a, in a really yeah. big, awesome, major way. That's, that, that's unreal, Joseph. I love this. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, well, I, it, was, it was special. It was a special time, special time in my life that 
you know, it just turned my world upside down for quite a while. And, but it was a wonderful time. I, I want to push pause on that, and I want to go back. Yes. Uh, I want to go back to what led up to um, to your conversion. I mean, you you talk about how maybe it's a disenchantment or just a, a, a questioning within the Holiness Church. Uh, your family, generations, part of this particular denomination. Uh, what led you to be converted? Let's take a break real quick. Give you a chance to get a yes. drink. Uh, and we'll come back and we'll we'll pick it up right there in the second block of the cultural hall. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. One with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, we've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now, because at PC Laptops, we're here for you, and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, would encourage you to find us wherever you do social media. We are at the Cultural Hall on all of them. It's an opportunity for you to interact with us. Uh, don't forget there is the Cultural Hall back row. That is a place where uh, super fans of the show, they all congregate and talk about various episodes. And don't forget you can become a Patreon saint you can do that at patreon.com slash the cultural hall joseph uh it it seems like in some way you were turning against the family and striking out on your own let's talk about your conversion and you're welcome to pick it up wherever you would like okay um well let me uh tell you a little bit of probably what to me spiritually was leading up to that point without me knowing it um, and there was some point while I was in high school that I went to the library and uh, checked out a book. I, I was just wanting to know more about other religions. And, um, and I came across a book that told of the history of Mormons, Mormon pioneers. And, and uh, there was Brigham Young on the front cover of that book. And it described him as a great pioneer uh, that had led people out west and settled Utah, and, and it called him a great colonizer. Well, I had never heard of that before. So it was an interesting story. I didn't completely read the book, but just interesting parts of it. And uh, and then I, of course, put it back away. And, and here, uh, you know, within a year or so, I was graduating, and, and uh, I joined the Army. Well, um, part of joining the army, I was I had planned to attend college there in North Carolina, and I had been accepted at 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 and T State University, and also um, Livingston College, uh, and uh, and I think at Shaw University and Lenora Rhine, a, a, a Lutheran college. Mm -hmm. and so, uh, but I, I, I as I was planning to go, 
um, the, the Methodist College was probably the most appealing because I had been there and interviewed uh, with uh, the dean of students. And he made a promise to me that if I uh, continued and attended their school, uh, since I was already an ordained minister uh, in the Holiness Church, what would happen is I would spend a year, my first year, working under a minister. And then the second year, I'd have my own congregation. Hmm. And by that, uh, that congregation would basically pay my way through school for the rest of the time I was in college. Uh, and and uh, I, I thought that sounded very appealing. Sure. But the one concept that I didn't like is I really didn't believe in being paid to preach the gospel. Um, although it's, you know, for pursuing it in the Methodist faith, they do pay their ministers. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as I was contemplating that, I made a, another choice, and that was instead of being paid as a minister, I decided, well, why don't I join the military and they will pay for my schooling? And so uh, I, you know, shortly thereafter, went to the post office planning to join the Marines. <laughs> and I did, did not know the difference in uniforms. And, and I was talking to an army recruiter and uh, he, <laughs> he sent me to Fort Jackson <laughs> where they, <laughs> they uh, inducted me into the, the army. You quickly well, went, wait, wait, wait a, wait a minute. What, what is, what has happened here? That's about, that's, that's about it. You know, I, <laughs> I, I really didn't know the difference in the, the, the branches uh, other than, you know, it's obvious when you see the Navy and the Air Force, mm-hmm. um, you know, but um, the Army and the Marines, I it's almost was the same thing to me. Uh, well, of course, I did learn more about the Army at that point, and uh, I joined, and Vietnam was going on, and they gave us a choice, whether to go to Nam or any other place. Hmm. And and as I was talking to the guy, he, he mentioned Hawaii. Well, I had seen pictures of Hawaii, and I remember a wrestler, uh, a professional wrestler, Sam Steamboat. He was from Hawaii, and, and I thought, well, I'd love to go there. Um, and so that's what I told the guy, Hawaii sounds good. <laughs> and, uh, the guy signed me up and there I was on my way. Um, and, and so during the next few months, I did my basic training there at Fort Jackson and, uh, then my AIT training, which is your job training, uh, in Louisiana at Fort Polk. And while I was at Fort Polk, there was a young man that was in my unit. I, I had been a platoon guide in basic. And so I was over, um, I guess, uh, I think about 31 or 32 people. And then in AIT, uh, they made me a squad leader. And I was over you know, probably about 10 or 12 guys. And uh, this one guy was an LDS man. He uh, one day saw me and and he's, you know, he, he said, well, I, I, I've, I've heard that you are a minister. And so I want to talk to you about religion. <laughs> and, uh, and as he uh, began to, you know, discuss things, I said, well, you know, I really don't believe in arguing over which faith is right. And I think uh, it causes you to lose the spirit. And so he walked away and he went back upstairs and then he came running back down in a little while. And he had this little blue book with an angel in the front. I'd never seen that. 
And uh, he said, this is the Book of Mormon. And then he flipped through it, showed me the beautiful pictures inside of it. But he didn't tell me anything about the words in it. <laughs> These great pictures, so, you know. sure. The words mean a lot. The words mean a lot, Joseph. I'll let you figure that on your own. But there is some amazing you know, artwork here in this book. You are right. And and, and actually, I was, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the, the, the pictures. I thought they were beautiful. And uh, But I didn't read the book at that time. I just put it away, and I thought, you know, I don't want to be too confused over different religions right now. Uh, and and I took the book with me, though, to the next station. We went from there to California for a few weeks, and then they got our paperwork straight, sent us on to Hawaii. Well, once I got to Hawaii, uh, I, I had some really interesting experiences. Uh, but to, after about a year of being there, going to different churches. I, I, I attended chaplain services, and uh, and then I attended uh, civilian services also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd go to services in the middle of the week, uh, and as well as on Sundays. And church was just a thing I really enjoyed doing. Well, after about a year, I just felt I wasn't as close to God as I wanted to be. And I just felt there was more to it. Uh, even though Occasionally, I had the chance to preach. I still didn't feel fulfilled. And so I began fasting. And there were two other young black men with me that, you know, we traveled together uh, a lot of times to these meetings. And uh, and we all fasted. Well, I remember on one occasion we fasted, uh, you know, like two or three days. And, and then uh, a lot of weekends, we would fast all night. I mean, all day Friday and break out fast Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I still didn't receive what I was looking for. And so on one occasion, I decided I would fast for a week, for five days, five nights. Wow. And I did so. <laughs> Something very special happened. I did not receive what I was looking for at the end of that fast but I had a feeling that I would find something soon. I had asked the Lord, you know, that I, I, you know, I, I wanted to just be close to him. And I also, I wanted to find someone to marry. Well, uh, two months later, I was uh, staying at the YMCA on another, you know, kind of little vacation thing. And uh, I took a tour to the Polynesian Culture Center. And that day, I really met the Mormons. I had only met that first young man in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And now, here I met a lot of Mormons. And I, and I really didn't know anything about the Mormon church. Uh, I had never attended a service or anything. And uh, But here was a lot of Polynesian people uh, and white people. But, of course, more of the white people were tourists. Yeah. And, and the Polynesians were, you know, represent. About six different islands: Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Tahiti, Micronesia, Hawaii, and so forth. And uh, as I walked around talking to people, they were very nice, you know. And I'm sure that most of them didn't had never known a black person before, right. but they treated me with such great respect and kindness that I was impressed by them. And uh, at one point, I met a young lady. She was carrying somebody's baby. And, and I said, Talofa. And she turned around 
kind of amazed at how could a black man know her language? And I, I, I only knew a few words, you know, just <laughs> reading words. <laughs> she starts talking to you and you quickly go, no, that's all I know. That's the only word that's I know. Right. Sorry. That's exactly it. Yeah. But, you know, we spoke probably five or 10 minutes then. And at the end of that day, I saw her again. And this time I sat down beside her while she was working. And, uh, and we talked for two hours. And, you know, she told me a lot about herself, that she actually had served a mission in Samoa. And uh, she also, you know, had uh, uh, taught school. And now here she was going to BYU uh, to complete a degree. And then she would go back to Samoa to live. And, and then at some point, she told me about Joseph Smith and the church. And she said, Joseph Smith, I love that man. And I thought, how can you love a guy that's been dead for a hundred years? And I said, well, I'm a Joseph too. And, and I was yeah. thinking in my heart, well, maybe you can love me. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and as we continued talking, I, you know, found myself fascinated by this young lady, big brown eyes and so forth. And, and uh, as we ended that day, I determined that I'd go back and see her again. And it took me about uh, three more times to find her. Actually, I, I went back every week trying to find her, and I couldn't. <laughs> and a friend of hers I met uh, told me that he knew her, and he had served a mission with her, and he'd give her my phone number, which, you know, in those days you didn't have cell phones. Yeah. So it, it was my military uh, ordinance room number. And uh, so on Monday, uh, of that week, uh, she called me, I think Monday, Monday or Wednesday, I remember. Um, and after calling, we talked a couple hours. You know, I, I moved from that phone and went over to a pay phone and called her back. And I was fascinated that, you know, this girl would even call me. Mm -hmm. Well, we talked for two weeks like that every night. And uh, I did, I got up the courage to ask her out. We went on a date and we continued dating for the next year, uh, and we ended up getting married. But it was not that easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that seems to me, knowing that yeah. there's a year's worth of time, that it wasn't as yes. simple as, you know, and then we ended up getting married. It seems like there was, right. there was a lot of talking and, and, and probably a, oh, yes. a, a lot of deep conversation because as we kind of keyed up at the beginning of this, this is this is pre the the revelation, and so there That's there right. are are various impacts of of that on this relationship. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Wow. What well, what year is this that you meet her? That was uh, seventy three. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, you know the the one of the difficult things that happened as we begin dating. Uh, I had no opposition from my end, but a lot of her friends, um, white, Samoan, uh, began talking to her. You know, as they saw me come to pick her up and take her out, uh, I don't know if some were jealous, but uh, they they told her, you know, you shouldn't be dating this black guy. Hmm. Don't you know he doesn't he can't receive the priesthood and can't take you to the temple. Or, you know, and so those kind of thoughts uh, were her herald at her, and uh, and she became kind of disheartened by it. Hmm. At some point, she decided to stop dating me, and uh, 
And then she went to her bishop and, you know, talked to him and said, no, you, you really shouldn't date that young man because, you know, he'll never be able to take you to the temple. Uh-huh. And uh, then she went to her mission president who was at the school and he told her the same thing. And he says, well, you know, uh, if you'd like, I'll send you to New Zealand and you can go to school over there and get away from this guy. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, she didn't feel too comfortable with that. But last of all, she went to the state president and uh, he was a wonderful man. He was a Samoan man. I think probably the first Samoan state president in Hawaii. And his name was President Milo. Uh, president Milo told her, he said, first, uh, do you love this man? You know, and she said, well, I think so. And, <laughs> and he says to her, well, that's the way you determine who you're going to marry, by how you feel in your heart, not by what other people tell you. And so, you know, it shouldn't be up to me or the bishop or your mission president to tell you who to marry. Marry the person that treats you right, respects you, and loves you. And uh, she said, okay, and and at that point, you know, we had been separated for at least a month. She uh, got word to me, and uh, and I was visiting some other Samoan families in the area that uh, we both knew at that, by that time. Mm-hmm. And and they told me that she wanted to see me again. And so we started seeing each other. Um, I think right the next time we saw each other, I invited her to uh, go to a Thanksgiving dinner with me. Um, which a friend of mine who uh, I was taking missionary discussions with by that time mm-hmm. um, had it set up. And he wanted to uh, have the missionary discussions at his home. And uh, I, by that time, I think it had been about three months that I had been listening to discussions and, and probably three different sets of missionary. Yeah. And, and uh, the, so so we arranged this uh, Thanksgiving dinner, and after and and actually we spent the day to, together, going to the beach and doing other things, and and then had dinner with uh, he and his wife, and at the end of the day, uh, I drove her back to school, and we stopped along the road at the beach. I think it's called Waimea Beach Park, and. Uh, we were sitting there under a coconut tree, hmm. and she looked up at me and said, "When are we getting married?" <laughs> 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 oh, you know, that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> I, I was tongue-tied for a moment yeah. because you know, we hadn't seen each other and, and had separated, and now we were talking about marriage. Well, uh, we brought the conversation to a point of saying, "You know, let's set a date." And uh, which was, you know, a few months, about six months away. And we decided to get married that following June. And so we did. Uh, uh, I, by that time, I, I, I was baptized after uh, that. And uh, by my bishop, his name was Lawrence Brunton. And uh, the missionary discussions, of course, finished. And everything worked out. And uh, then in June, we got married, started our life. And it was, you know, still was opposition. I, people didn't say too much to me, not anything at all. But uh, people from her background, Samoan people, 
that knew her would say discouraging things. And, you know, they would say, you, you shouldn't marry that black man. And, and then uh, some people said, well, you shouldn't go to the temple anymore now that you're married to that guy. Mm. See, all kinds of things that they didn't understand the gospel well enough themselves to understand that I was a child of God, just like everyone else. Uh, at that point, when I joined the, the, the church, there was not another black member in Hawaii. Uh, wow. And then after I joined, uh, there was another young man who was in the Navy. I can't remember his name now. He joined probably about three or four weeks afterwards. And then we were the only two huh. uh, for a long time until I left Hawaii, as far as I know. Uh, well, uh, there was a third. There's a third young man. I can't think of his name now. He later became bodyguard to President Kimball. Really? And, uh, huh. Yeah. And so the three of us were the only three blacks in the in Hawaiian Islands uh, that were members. But this, uh, yeah, this, this story to me, like I, I, it's almost so fantastical. I, I can't believe it. And if you weren't the one who'd lived it, and you weren't the one. Uh, that was telling me, I, you know, I may read it and be like, was it really all that he says that it was? But hearing your sincerity as you as you talk all about this, I want to, if we can, for just a second, maybe dive in a little bit to to the uh, the opposition to all of it. But also, I mean, you're you're at the time that you are taking the mission discussions, um, probably part of it is um because that was what this woman that you loved was was a member of, and, and you were also attracted to the faith for those other reasons that you listed. But also, I mean, the, the church at the time didn't give you the promise of being able to go to the temple or to, or to be able to hold the priesthood. No. So how did you, how did you, how did you... Um, deal with that? Yeah, deal with that. Well, let me take it to this point. Um, what are the people that I didn't know that well, but uh, was to me very influential in my life. Uh, there were people, there were good people I knew in the military. Um, one was the post commander. Uh, he was a wrestling coach and I joined the wrestling team for a while. Fantastic man, Colonel Salvador. He wasn't a member, but a man that became like a father figure to me. And uh, I would do anything in the world he asked me to do. Uh, a, a, another important person in my life was the state president, President Milo. Even though he didn't know me, uh, had not even met me, what he told my wife had such an impact in calming her and causing her to feel that this is the right choice. Well, this young lady, uh, probably our second date, uh, we went to a movie the first date, and, and she told me about the word of wisdom. And uh, and, and it was a, just a very simple thing. She was a person that didn't believe in drinking, uh, you know, sodas that had caffeine in. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's nothing in the word of wisdom about that. But her personal convictions was she didn't like drinking anything, you know, that, that had caffeine. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, and I asked her why, you know, because when I went uh, in those days, you had intercession, you know, in the movies, they changed the film in the, movie, uh, in the middle of the movie and put on a new reel. Well, as uh, I brought back refreshments to the seat, 
And she said, well, what kind of soda is that? And I had an orange crush for me and, and uh, uh, a uh, Coke for her. Mm-hmm. And and she said, well, give me the the one that doesn't have caffeine. I don't want the Coke. <laughs> and I thought, you know, well, why? That's mine. <laughs> so so we had we had this conversation about her feelings about the word of wisdom and i thought if you can feel the spirit greater in your life and be closer to god by simply changing that part of your life to not use caffeine or to not uh uh smoke or drink or anything like that which i didn't do in the first place mm-hmm. and she said you know I occasionally had a cup of coffee or, or tea at a restaurant or something like that. And so I said, that's a very small change in my life in order to feel the Spirit of God. Yeah. And I immediately stopped at that point uh, drinking anything like that. Uh, and I wanted to be just like her. And so from that night on, my life began changing. And then she suggested the next weekend that uh, we go on a date again. And she said, and I'll I'll make the arrangements. And so she said, I want you to meet some of our young ministers hmm. and talk with them. And, and of course, that was the missionaries. Sure. And uh, we met, discussed things. And their main emphasis was that I should read the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. When we talked about Jesus Christ and other things pertaining to the gospel, those were things I was I was already doing. I already knew the Lord, and I had a testimony of Christ as being a part of my life. And so the, the, the thing that they emphasize is that I should take the Book of Mormon and begin reading it. And she looked at me and said, will you read this? I said, I said yes. Of course, why not? A big brown-eyed girl asked me to do it. Yeah, she could. She could have asked you to do just about anything at that point. I feel like, and you would have been like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's right." But so, that, uh, but that there was definitely something, definitely something more to it. Because you strike me as an individual who maybe to some point you would have done anything that she would have asked, but I don't know that you would have gone counter to, you know, those those morals and those things that you had uh, within yes. you. I, I want to press pause right there. I want to come back and I want to talk about that. And I need to take you to task, Joseph Freeman Jr. Yes. You, you, my friend, left out a very important detail about marrying uh, your wife that I found as we've been chatting that we need to make sure that we talk about. So we'll come okay. back and we'll do that in the third <laughs> block of the cultural hall. Hey, it's me, Richie T. I want to take a second and talk to you about best DJ in Utah, or I should really say right now, best guy who cleans out his carport and best guy who cleans out his storage unit and best guy who cleans out his carpenter studio and has done a lot of episodes of the cultural hall. Not a lot of DJing happening right now, as you can imagine with the quarantine, it is the socially responsible thing to do. But I will promise you this, I bring the party, as soon as this is lifted, as soon as these rainy clouds of self-quarantine are gone, I will bring the party. Now, you're going to have a work party, great. You're going to have a church party, I do the church parties too. You're going to have a wedding or special day, or maybe you just want to have a post-corona party. I would love to be that DJ for that party. You can hit me up, you can get a quote, 
Simple and easy at bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, you should become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. There, I said it. We are doing better work now than we ever have before. Make sure you go to Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall. Those Patreon saints got to hear this interview way before you are listening to it right now. So go there, make a pledge, help pay for things like a brand new website, which we're building, and this comfortable chair that I'm sitting in. It's patreon.com slash the cultural hall. Also, it gets you to be a part of that Facebook group. It's uh, a secret but not sacred Facebook group. Joseph, uh, I I want to talk about Book of Mormon. Uh, but do not let me forget that we talk about your tempo ceiling because I think that okay. that is that is too important of a detail to pass up. Uh, so you, she asked you to read it, and you, of course, lovingly doe-eyed said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you bet, I will." Was that was that yes. was that the clinchpin for your conversion? It, it was, you know. Um, at that point, I was not a person that read a lot of books, but I loved reading the Bible. And uh, and I and I and I just felt, you know, the Bible was very special to me. But here I was now turning the pages in this Book of Mormon. And as I began to read it, the story was interesting. I had never heard of this kind of thing before. Uh, And I know, like within the first 25 or 30 pages, I knew this book was special. Mm. It could not have been written by just an ordinary person that everything was coming together too beautifully. Uh, this man, Lehi, and, and his son, Nephi, uh, their uh, visions, the vision that particularly Lehi had had uh, and the Savior speaking to him, th- those things were very important. Let me share with you something a little bit different. My father, when he was young, told me an interesting story, and he shared this many times at church and, and with family members, that he had a, a, an interesting experience when he was uh, just a child. Number one, he, he was out uh, in the field. I, I, it seems like he was milking the cow or doing something with the cow, and, and he saw the face of someone in the clouds, and it looked to him as though it was an angel or that it was Jesus Christ. And as he saw this, he began to run home to show his mother, and he was calling her. And the closer he got to home, the clouds covered the face of this person in the sky. He forever bore testimony of that. And there are like stories like that in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shared this story of Joseph Smith seeing God the Father and the Son, and he immediately said, I believe it. Hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. 
because he had had a similar vision in his childhood. Well, so when as I began to read the Book of Mormon, those stories, uh, even of Lehi, as he said, he thought he saw God the Father sitting on his throne. They came back to me as my own father, having special visions or dreams. Now, ah, now, excuse me. So when, as I began to read, I knew these kinds of things were possible. And by this time also, uh, I started attending church. This young man who I had uh, spent Thanksgiving with, he, he, together he had called a church in, in our area, and uh, we were at Schofield Barracks, and right outside is Schofield is Wahiwa, and there was a Wahiwa ward. We began to attending that ward together. The bishop met us on the steps of the church that first Sunday, and uh, shook our hands and invited us in, introduced us to members and so forth before church started. And then an important thing happened. After I had been attending either that Sunday or the next Sunday, it was fast Sunday. Hmm. A couple of young people shared their testimonies. And, and they bore testimony of saying, I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, that the church is true, that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Those words touched me in a special way. I desired to know what they do, and I desired to know the way that they do it through the Holy Spirit, not by somebody telling me. That week, as I went back reading the Book of Mormon, I remember it was a Wednesday. I was sitting on my, my bed, my bunk, reading it, and there was a feeling that came over me that this is the word of God. And if this is the word of God, the man who wrote this book, Joseph Smith, is truly a prophet of God. And then, if that's true, then this church is the church of God. And if that's true, I want to be a member of this church the rest of my life. I had never seen another black person in the church, but I said to myself, it doesn't matter. And I immediately thought, what will other black people say about me hmm. when I go back home? You know, they'll call me an Uncle Tom and uh, all kinds of things like that. Well, and, and, the, and the impact may be on your family because multi-generations are part of this particular church. And, and it's not, you know, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I mean, it is it is bred in your family to not to not be a member of this church. Yes, and I I thought I'm going to join this church. Well, I I knew uh, missionaries had been teaching me, and we hadn't talked about baptism yet. This this was the third set of missionaries, and so uh, as I met with them the next day, I don't know if I told them or they just asked, but uh, the baptismal question came up, and I said, yes, I want to be baptized. Mm -hmm. And uh, they 
were overjoyed and, and they finished all the discussions because I was about to go out of town with the military. We were going to the Big Island for 30 days. And uh, so they finished all of the discussions and made the arrangements. And Bishop Lawrence Brewington, my bishop, baptized me on that Saturday morning. That was a beautiful, beautiful occasion. Uh, I just felt the spirit so strong as I was there. And, and I remember as he dipped me in the water and brought me out. It's like it was so cool and refreshing. Hmm. And it is though I felt as though my sins truly had been washed away. Uh, it was just a beautiful feeling. Well, after that, uh, I began to grow in the church to learn more. And uh, an interesting thing happened. Uh, I had been working part-time uh, for a guy named Jack Hutchinson. And Jack was a body and fender man, and I was still in the military. But in my off time, I'd go and visit with Jack. And he talked to me about the church a lot. Uh, on one Sunday, I listened to a man that had been a state president. And he was trying to explain his thoughts of why the blacks couldn't receive the priesthood. Uh-oh. Because, of course, I was in that ward, yeah. in the Kaula ward. Uh, and he said something that, like, well, maybe it's because the blacks might have not been quite faithful and that uh, yeah. maybe they were sitting on the bench on the side when the war in heaven took place and uh, and they did not make a decision to follow Christ or to follow Satan, but they were undecided. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I I had never heard of that before. And, and of course, I, that was not any tradition or belief in the Bible that I had ever read about. Mm-hmm. And so the next day or so when I met Jack, we were there work, working, uh, pounding out dents and welding <laughs> metal. Uh, I asked him about that. He said, Joseph, that's hogwash. Yes. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, that's not doctrine. We don't believe that. And you see, I, and, and, and that was the first time I ever began to realize that people had their own stories in the church. Yeah. Well, at, at that point, it gave me a different pr- perspective to now view doctrine from and, and to not accept anything unless I could read it in the scriptures. And or, you know, it was taught by a prophet of God or members of the 12. And so uh, that became a rule in my life to observe things from that point. Well, yeah. You you have an amazingly blessed life um, from from being able to have such great local uh, leaders who could who could be able to have those discussions and not even leaders right some of these just friends and and members of the church who were able to to be there for you to answer you know questions to be able oh, to yes. to to just fellowship in a way uh, that it could have gone it could have gone very differently. Yes, yes. But, you know, there, and I, I'd like to mention another person, this man who was the state president. At that time, there's, today there's probably 10 different stakes over there. But at that time, he was state president from Wahiwa all the way to Kaneyoi, which is uh, quite a few miles. And uh, 
when I met him and talked to him, he had the vision of kind of like a general authority. Hmm. The, the man was just so powerful spiritually and full of love. You know, he never said anything derogatory to me about black people. He was just so uplifting yeah. and kind. And, and you know, and I just fell in love with him as a state president. I didn't even know what a state president was before him. <laughs> <laughs> but but he was an impressive man that was generous to me. Uh, and, and it was those kind of people, their love touched me in a special way. It caused me to want to be a member of this church. Another very special man was Brother Alofi Poe. Alofi Poe, he was probably about 85 years old. He was blind. He attended the temple almost every day. And uh, when I would go to see him every week on about Wednesday or Thursday. And he would sit for hours and talk to me about the gospel. He had served many missions for the church in Samoa. Brother Elofipo, he said the church would call him uh, on a mission and he would just take his family and and walk two or three days to the area where they wanted him to teach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And he would join that village of people, build a house and begin teaching in that area until he converted a few people and they started a branch. And then he'd be there for a year or two and the church would call him, we want you to go somewhere else. And he would walk two or three days across the islands through the woods to that area and start the church again. And he spent his life doing things like that. This old man touched my heart with his stories of preaching the gospel. His life had been threatened many times, but he never stopped preaching the gospel. And to me, he was like those old apostles, Peter, Paul, John, and all of them. His testimony was firm, and I wanted to be like this old man. So those are the kind of people that gave me strength to join this church had to be a faithful member. It's such it's such a phenomenal story, and and I know that we've just barely even touched on any of it in the time that that we've had. Uh, it, it is worth mentioning you were also one of the the first uh, to be sealed in the temple as well. You weren't the first, as I understand That's it. Right. Um, That's doing, right. I'm doing I'm doing some research, and we're going to track down and and have that be a, a future interview here in the cultural hall. But there is something worth note about your temple marriage. You want to tell people about that? Well, yes. That uh, the, While I was in New York uh, doing an interview, President Monson, for whatever reason, called my wife at home. And uh, he asked her if he would, could seal us in the temple. And she didn't know who which Monson it was. She thought <laughs> we had a friend who was an accountant. And it, it, and he was a monster also. And she thought that's who she was talking to. <laughs> and uh, and then he said, no, I'm, I'm one of the general authorities, number 12. And then she was really taken away. And, and she said, oh, yes, President, we would love to have uh, be, to be sealed by you. And so uh, that weekend, 
we couldn't be sealed. Of course, I was dead in New York, and then I went on to North Carolina to visit my family. And then when we got back the following weekend, uh, that next week, we set up to go to the temple, I believe on that Friday morning. And uh, President Monson, uh, he had other meetings and commitments that day, but uh, there was a certain time, I don't remember now if it was like 10 or 11 o'clock, that mm. he came in to do the ceiling for us. And it was just so wonderful and special. You know, and he shared with us uh, just some personal stories. Excuse me. Uh, well, the, that was a wonderful day. Uh, we had, you know, friends and home teachers and co-type uh, companions and so forth that was with us that day, the ward members, Bishop Rick and so forth. It was a beautiful day. Uh, had a wonderful time. And, and, and it, to me, you know, 10 years later, I met President Monson again, a, you know, a couple of times. Uh, and But uh, I was uh, some years later working at uh, the Denver Temple. And uh, I had, uh, uh, we were at a, a, a conference for the temple, uh, by, uh, workers, and President Monson had come to Denver uh, and spoke. And he saw us. And at the end of the meeting, he came off the podium and uh, went over to where my wife and I were sitting and hugged us and shook our hands. And he still remembered our names and remembered even our children hmm. who he had seen, Alexander and Zachariah. And he asked us about them. I thought, how in the world can this man remember someone, you know, like 10 years later and remember the names of their children? How special. Well, he became a special friend for life until he died. We knew and loved him. So that was a very special time for us. It's a it's an an amazing um, story. Just that that small snippet. I I am in awe of the journey that you've had and and in your willingness to share some some very um, personal experiences and and have just felt every word that you've said. I really appreciate it. Um, as I as I did a little bit of uh, kind of looking around before we chatted, I found that you have authored a book that people can uh, find. It's a little bit harder to find. You can find it online, yes. certainly, uh, and, but right. you have to be a part of a few like subscription services or something like that to see it <laughs> or buy it uh, secondhand. Uh, it's called yes. In the Lord's Due Time, and people can That's can right. check that out. There will be a link at theculturalhall.com. Joseph, there's a question that we, uh, three questions that we ask anyone who steps into the cultural hall. So I am going to ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you currently have a calling? And if so, what is it? Yes, uh, I've served in a number of callings. I'm serving now on the high council at, at our state. And uh, I, I guess uh, from the time I first joined the church, they the bishop struggled trying to find callings for me. Uh, one of the first callings they gave me was, uh, what was it? It was called teacher development uh, mm -hmm. director. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they they found out that that was a priesthood calling. And so 
after I had been teaching for a while, they released me from that. And then they said, well, now we'll call you teacher development teacher instead of being the director over it. And uh, so then I was able to just continue teaching the class and and, uh, and that was fine. Uh, and, and, and they were hesitant uh, to use me as a hope teacher. So uh, at different wards, they would say, okay, well, we have to make you a junior companion. And so they allowed me to hope teach, not in every ward, uh, but then I was junior companion forever. Uh, and then, and, 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 and of course, five years later, as I received the priesthood, then uh, I could become a senior companion, which it really didn't matter to me because visiting people is very special. And it doesn't matter whether you are a senior or junior companion, you're doing the Lord's work. It, uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, uh, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I'll tell you the most rewarding calling that I've ever served in what well, well, two? Uh, I, as I served a bishop, as a bishop for five years, I've served in probably three different bishoprics, and uh, one while I was in college, and, and two uh, as I got out of college, and uh, and and then one very uh, sweet calling that I had. I think for about five years, I served as a primary teacher, hmm. teaching. You know three, four-year-olds, and then uh, later uh, five, six-year-olds, and later teenagers. Uh, those callings as a as a teacher, I love probably more than any other thing in the church. I love to see people learn about the gospel, and I love teaching the gospel. It, it's just so rewarding because you're strengthening their testimonies, and you're helping them to grow closer to their heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, and there's nothing that's better than that in the world. And to see people converted to the Lord and to turn it away from the things of the world and just want to know God in their heart and develop a testimony. What what young man that I met some years ago when I first joined the church at BYU, we were sitting on the grass. Uh, out in front of the, the Polynesian Culture Center. And uh, we were talking, and, and he had a, questions about going on a mission and doing things like that. He was a young Hawaiian fellow, and, and, uh, and I encouraged him to go on a mission. And I gave him a missionary pal. I don't know how I just had one with me. Mm -hmm. and, and I met him years later. He had been served as a, a bishop. He had been a bishop. And then he was a state president, and he thanked me for strengthening his testimony. And he still had that copy of the missionary pal, even to that day. Hmm. And now he was a much older man with four or five children. Hmm. And what a reward it was to know this was someone that I had just shared my testimony with and had been strengthened and had done something with that testimony in their life. So, Joseph, we ask, um, yes. we ask everyone as the final question of, of uh, our interviews is, what is your favorite part of your faith? 
favorite part of my face has to be being sealed to my, my wife and my children. Being, uh, and just being a, mem a member of the church. Uh, you know, I don't always express to my wife how much I really love her. Uh, and I don't know if she can totally understand it. Love is something that words can't describe. It must be felt. But I'm so appreciative that the Lord led us together. And, and, and we have not had, you know, uh, uh, a, a goal, how should I say, a, a uh, marriage that is just full of a bed of roses. We go through the difficulty of culture, understanding English as a second language, because uh, my wife's her language is suborn mm -hmm. and uh, and try to understand the small terms that how you express different feelings and so forth and her culture how they express love and how they do things it's different well all of those kinds of things makes it challenging to be married to someone that is from a different background but it doesn't matter I love her with all of my heart and uh, I strive each day to try to be patient and to try to help her in every way I can, wash the dishes, help clean the house, and do those kinds of things that are necessary uh, in life for couples. And uh, those are things that enrich my life, serving. Uh, King Benjamin said to his people, when ye are in the service of your fellow man, you are only in the service of your God. And I testify to you, the, the person that we should serve the most, number one, is our family. That above everyone else, other than God himself. We love the Lord first, but the next is our family. Be loving to your wife or loving to your husband. Love your children, no matter what they do, whatever they go through. Mm. Love them with all your heart. Be like the the, the man is called a prodigal son. When that son returned home to his father, though he had done many things wrong, the father saw him a great distance away and recognized him for probably the way he walked, his mannerism. And the father ran to him. He didn't walk to him. He ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's the way we should be, too our family, and then from that way, we're that way to the rest of the people that we know in the community. If we live that way, there is no doubt we shall be with our Heavenly Father, and we will do all that we can to bring our own family into the family of God. Joseph Freeman Jr., thank you so much. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. All 